Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. With me as always, uh, and of course I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan, with me as always, we have Michael Snydell. Hello. Bill Graham. Hey, hey. And a special guest with us here today to talk about the new Spike Lee joint, Black Klansman, we have Blake Goebel. Hey, thank you guys for having me very much. And please don't call me Blake Klansman for uh, <laughs> conversational purposes. It would be very awkward. It's the organization. Wait, I never yes, would have yes, thought Klansman. to do that. And now it's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> have people been doing that to you? Oh, God, no, no, no. I merely propose it. But at the same time, like, it's like when Black Panther came out and I thought, what if I called myself Blake Panther on Twitter? And I squashed that the second I thought about it. <laughs> no. I'm just like, let, let's not and be And now it's already into into the air, though. Oh, oh yeah. Just, They're like, are you the jackass? <laughs> are you, you were live, right? What about Blake Widow? <laughs> oh, you could be Blake Widow. You know, I'm not into ballet, but I'm willing to learn. Yes. <laughs> If, if I can nerd that up a little. No, uh, but seriously, a real, real treat to be here, guys, and thank you for having me. And why don't you tell the fine folks at home a little bit about yourself before we kick off this episode? Uh, yeah, no, uh, so I'm a senior What are writer. your interests? My interests um, my, my interests are singular, uh, to <laughs> quote uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, which is film, not the kink stuff. No, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no uh, so senior writer, Consequence of Sound, been writing there for like the last four years before that, wrote Michigan Daily on and off here and there. But basically, um, uh, film is, this is going to sound so rote, it's my passion. It's like, you know, like that meme on Instagram, design is my passion. But no, seriously, film is my passion. And I, I love shooting the shit about it. I've been watching Spike Lee movies for like, I don't even know how long, but I'm super duper excited to be kind of uh, sharing some thoughts, opinions, views, and moods on the the new movie with him. And um, right now, this is kind of the movie I've been the most excited about talking about in the, this year. So really, um, yeah, that's my passion right now, Black Klansman. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into our episode, let me remind everyone at home, uh, follow us on Twitter at FilmStageShow. Um Go on Facebook, search for The Film Stage Show, email us, podcast at thefilmstage.com, and of course, give us a comment and a review on iTunes if you have the chance, even though I know that that is a, <laughs> it's a pain in the ass to do. It means a lot to us. And of course, go to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow to help give to this podcast so that we can continue to produce these wonderful in-depth reviews for your listening pleasure. We are also brought to you by Mubi, 
the online streaming cinema where their curators every day introduce a new film and you have 30 days to watch. So that's a constantly rotating selection of 30 films that you can check out on your smart TV, your laptop, your PC, any streaming device you got. They have some great stuff. Let's talk about it. Certified copy by Abbas Kiristami. And we talked about this a bunch last week, but I wanted to throw it out there again because it is amazing. It's super great. It's I just like can't say enough nice things about it. It's his first feature film made out of his made outside of uh, his native Iran, and it stars Juliette Binoche, and it's just the best. So check that out. And in addition, Michael Snydell, Johnny Toe. Johnny Toe, yeah, second film, uh, the second film of the series they added on there, which I haven't seen, called uh, Mad Detective, and it says uh, next in our Johnny Toe series uh, brings out the funnier, weirder side of the re- director, too often thought of as gracely, gravely serious, starring the great Ching Wan Lao and leavened by the wacky imagination of co-director writer Y Kafai. This film gleefully twists and plays with the detective genre. So that sounds great. And if you'd like to see all of these movies and more without paying a single dime, you can get a free 30-day trial of Mubi by going to mubi.com slash filmstage. Oh, yeah. No, if I can just quickly throw throw in a some weird praise for Mubi. I joined it about a decade ago. I refused to jump ship and go to Letterboxd because... A, I'm not re-rating all those movies, but B, movies layout is just super clean and easy, and I, I've always liked it. So I'm. This is one of those cases where, like, I know it's an ad, but I'm like, no, really, I like the product you guys are hawking. <laughs> no, I I do the same thing because I I had movie before they gave, became a sponsor, and um, out of some weird form of like righteous loyalty, I don't take the <laughs> comp account that they give me. I continue to give them my money. And oh, that is so noble, good man. That's super noble. Yeah, and look bad. Jeez. Yeah, unlike some fucking freeloaders on this episode. Um, and what I was gonna say is, like, every now and then I do like just go on a tear because it's like I've been on the Amazon app or something. I'm just like, you want to know what else is great about movie? The fact that you can find a goddamn movie on it. That's what. I know, I know, no, that's, it's like so snooty. I'm like, can I see something pre-1970, please, uh, on Amazon? It's like, well, all right, I guess we're over to Mubi tonight. But no, it's it's cool. It's a really nice platform. Um, and this is coming from a guy who does web design on the side. I'm like, I need something with good pictures of movies or else I'm going to get bored shitless. I hate the posters on Letterboxd and stuff like that. Anyway, this is like going way too mean to his Letterboxd already. So yeah, a, movie. a fine site. <laughs> Movie's gonna have to pay us double for this ad read. Um, <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk instead about Black Klansmen. Is there like a way that you're supposed to say that? Are you supposed to bleed it into a single word, or is it cool to just roll with it as two words? I feel like you just emphasize the second syllable a little bit, don't you? <laughs> That's how I've been saying it. Like I was doing like black clans. <laughs> I I walked up to the the theater and I said, uh, "One for black clansmen." <laughs> and the guy looked at me and I was like, "Black clansmen." <laughs> and he said that people had been struggling with it all day. <laughs> I was going to say, "Are people stuttering the three Ks in the middle?" Black clansmen. Yeah, pretty much. Oh I wonder what people are calling this one because there's always some good, you know, uh, theater mistakes that people make when 
trying to remember movie names. All right. Well, I don't know. We're never going to have an answer. Someone has probably <laughs> asked. Someone, someone has probably asked him about this. And I would be super curious to know what he said. But until that point, I'm going to make a point of pronouncing it differently every time I say it. So, the movie so like a name. <laughs> Black Klansman, starring John David Washington and Adam Driver. And, of course, this is directed by Spike Lee. And it is out in theaters now. And um, it, it, this premiered again. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was going to say originally premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, and then I was like, "Oh shit, is this a Sundance movie?" But no, no, it's not. All right, no, 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 it's not about a twenty-something finding himself. Way different. It's so weird. Sundance used to be about teenagers, but I guess that was like ten years ago. So it makes sense that now it's like disaffected twenty-somethings going home. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Great folk music, though all of them. Oh, and and the drone shots, wow, to die for. Let's let's stop slamming oh Sundance movies. This is the can selected Black Klansman, directed by Spike Lee. Here is the trailer. There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. This is Ron Stallworth calling. Well, who am I speaking with? This is David Duke. Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? God. Last time I checked. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish, Italians, and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. The All right, that is the trailer for Black Klansman. Let's talk about it. <laughs> that is a very like, uh, what is it? What what is what is the term I'm trying to come up with? Clean no up idea. version of that of that oh. conversation. Oh yeah, <laughs> of that monologue. I mean, yeah, it's the be- I think that's the best part about seeing a movie like this and then going back to the trailer. It's just oh, like, I was trying not to giggle at the, the creak of the chair under Adam Driver because like I totally love that as an audio gag in the movie. And I totally <laughs> noticed it in the trailer just now, like trying not to choke up. <laughs> and it's so good. All right. We're well, talking about what we liked about this movie. Blake. Uh, everything. No, uh, <laughs> I, I really, really, really won. Um, I like how audacious this film feels, despite it kind of being like reliant on pulp and black exploitation tropes and things like that. It does kind of lean on like, I don't know, populist entertainment and kind of a straight and narrow police procedural story about trying to stop a rogue sect of people. And yet at the same time, it is it is that important now kind of movie. It is a zeitgeist movie as much as I hate using that. I reserve it for this case because this is a film that's kind of, you know, uh, punching hard, fast and loose and playing with the information in such like just a very jazzy way. It has a rubber band reality where it can be kind of like surreally hysterical as well as deeply troubling. And the crazy thing is the movie never missed a beat tonally for me. I think Spike, 
just kind of like his confidence on this one. His hands were strong. And I was just, it was one of those movies where I realized like there wasn't a wasted scene in this. There wasn't a scene where I was ever bored during this. And there were feelings of like sheer guilt and, you know, tears shed in addition to moments of knee slapping hysterical, like comedy, those conversations with David Duke over the phone, I was like wheezing. I couldn't stand how like awkward and hysterical those conversations are because as David Duke asserts, he knows what a good white voice sounds like over the phone and with the canted angles. Anyway, I just basically this movie delivered for me in a whole ton of different ways. And it's one of those movies where I'm like, so happy I went to go see it in a theater. I got to concentrate. I got to see everything like just roll out in whatever fashion it needed to roll out. And I never kind of felt like the movie cornered itself into any one kind of mode. It worked in a bunch of different modes, but that's me kind of like spewing hyperbole. I just really liked it, you know? All right. Well, let's see what else we thought about it. Bill Graham. Uh, for the most part, I really can everything clear now. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, for the most part, I really enjoyed this film. I think Spike adds a lot of really smart touches. And I feel like for the most part, this film does everything that it's trying to do. I think the last 10 minutes are where things kind of get a little muddled and get a little weird. Um, and I think it's interesting because, like our guest was saying, you know, it does feel very relevant and does feel very pertinent to this moment. Um, I couldn't help but hear some of the things that David Duke was saying and just absolutely hear what, you know, Trump has said and, you know, what he even campaigned for, uh, make America great again and things like that. Um, it seems like this is just so relevant that it's, it's almost eerie how, more than likely these are things that have been said throughout times throughout that time you know not just put in just because of trump but literally like more than likely this is stuff that has been around for a while that kind of phrasing that kind of sayings and things like that and so um but its power and its effect really don't kind of take shape until near the end with kind of its muddled message and things like that. So um, I think this film really does a lot to sell kind of the comic relief of what you're kind of witnessing. Because, look, let's be honest, if this film was two hours um, of just kind of straight, I'm not sure this would be sold the way that it has been. So um, it's got to be marketable. And that's pretty much what he did. He made a comedy out of this situation that is not very funny. So. All right. Michael Snydell. Yeah. You know, you know, I, I, I can respect this film, but I have to say is, is the more time that pass, I can't help that it feels kind of hobbled by its constant need to, almost like translate this into a more crowd pleasing package. Um, like Spike Lee, you know, is someone who bagginess is kind of a feature of his movies. Like, <laughs> you know, going everything from, you know, Malcolm X to Crooklyn to Chirac is, is filled with a lot of these like uh, rambling passages that even if they're just a tangent about, you know, um, 
how how beautiful it is to be in a Harlem ballroom for five minutes. Like there, there are sequences that that showcase uh, vibrancy, and this film unfortunately doesn't have that that spike strangeness that I really want. I, I think Blake used a really wonderful term of, of rubber band reality. Uh, I, I think that's a great term, but I think that honestly gets at what I don't like about this movie. Sure. Um, in that you're dealing with so many different layers, you're dealing with um, you're, you're dealing with a a, uh, a black cop dealing with his black identity and his understanding of what it means to be a cop in a racist time. You're dealing with uh, a white cop who's dealing with his Jewish identity and being a cop, and you're also dealing with these genre tropes and this relevant, this uh, modern relevance that you want to touch on. And I think in trying to thread all of those different things together, he he loses some of the fire and potency that he would have. You know, it's really weird that Jordan Peele was originally attached to this because, um, you know, a get out was a film that was so, uh, somewhat controversial for the way that white and black audiences saw it as a, uh, comedy or satire or horror film. And as much as I don't want to litigate that again, I think there is something to be said um, about the way that uh, Jordan Peele approached racism as something that was uh, absurd, but also um, sober without being necessarily earnest. And I think the weird thing about uh, this movie, which almost feels the most distinctly spike about it, is the ways that it it does kind of... Um, verge away from this, you know, dry absurdism to like these very sincere moments, whether you consider like Terrence Blanchard's like very self, self-righteous is, is uh, too hyperbolic for what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but the way that, you know, it sounds like literally like Eddie Hazel, like mournful Eddie Hazel guitar playing. Like there's just a, a sense of importance here that, feels at odds with a lot of the stranger parts here. Uh, and I think, honestly, that disconnect is what kept me most engaged with this film because otherwise I found it really bizarrely flat um, in, in a way that I at first thought was intentional, but I just don't, uh, I, I don't think that in, in hindsight. And, and I think that is just, again, a problem of having to tell the story of so many different parties and maybe losing something by trying to spread yourself out so uh, thin. So for me, I had fun with this movie. I wasn't bored watching it. I, you know, there were lots of laughs. I was engaged. I liked the characters and I, I stepped out of it and I don't like this movie has grown more complicated in my head in terms of my reaction to it and reading of it mainly because, and this is going to sound really weird. I guess I wasn't expecting Spike Lee to make a movie about a, the only black cop in the Colorado Springs police department who infiltrates the KKK. So cuddly, (laughs) 
<laughs> um, the more I've talked about this movie with people, the more I have compared it to hidden figures. And the more that I have said that, the more I feel in my heart that that is like the truth of kind of what this movie is straddling in terms of like a workplace integration story mixed with like fighting institutional racism down to like some of the super pat simple solutions that come about. They're but kind of without getting into spoilers, Can we say that real quick. What was that? They they kind of seem bad at their job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, you know, we can't really talk about it too much because spoilers. Sorry, sorry. But like, you know, I I don't even know how to respond to that. Um, so, sorry, friend. <laughs> so what I'll say is, I also didn't expect to like see the main character of this movie kind of agree with me so much. I was really expecting Spike Lee. Yeah. And maybe it's just, maybe I just don't know him that well, like as an artist, like I was expecting him to be a little more fire and a little more, uh, you know, I want to say brimstone, but like a little, a little, oh, God damn it. A little spikier, <laughs> like a little, a little, a little less cuddly. Like, you know, the character in this movie is like, you know, I, I'm I'm down for the revolution of my people and their liberation. But I think that I can do that within the police department, like within the system. And his his girlfriend, Patrice, is like, no, you, you can't. And I fully expected him to, like, come to that. It's just really weird to me that, like, there's the uh, it just it, it didn't feel angry enough it didn't feel scared enough it didn't feel like righteously pissed off enough and i wonder like famously the the footage has been appended onto the end of this film if you don't know what it is i won't spoil it right now but it's it's footage that seems to have been added on simply to like apologize for having made this film in the first place because they were afraid of the fact that they're like, well, we made white supremacists and the KKK look like utter buffoons, but clearly they're not. They're still like a present threat to our society. So maybe we should just like acknowledge that. And that just like, to me feels like a strange cop out. I compared it to serving people like a barbecue and then making them watch like food Inc it's like, that's fantastic, but you are aware of what you just did and asked us to take part in. And I just, I don't know. It seems weird that like the movie clearly has a lot to say. And a lot of times what it's saying is meaningful and important, but I can't tell if it's undercutting its message through the comedy or it's undercutting its narrative through trying to crowbar more of a message in that seems at odds with the actual form that the narrative has taken. But like, again, I I sat through the whole thing. I liked it. I liked the characters. Uh, John David Washington is Ron Stallworth is great. Um, Adam driver gives a very good performance in this. Um, I'm trying to find, there she is, uh, Laura Harrier, who plays Patrice, 
also wonderful. Um, there's a cameo in the movie. Uh, a, a certain celebrity is playing a um, activist, an anti-lynching activist, who's really good. There's a different cameo that starts off the movie that I think ruined the movie for half of my audience <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, it's, he's literally the first person billed on IMDb and it's literally the first thing you see, but I feel like I still shouldn't say what it is in case like someone is for some reason listening to this, but hasn't seen the movie yet. Um, <laughs> And like the second that this actor appeared on screen, it was just like, oh, oh, my. All right. And then it took forever for the movie to recover. Um, So I don't know. I would say it's a this is a it's weird to call a movie like this by this director about this story. A good time at the movies that maybe doesn't actually follow through on its intended message or any message particularly well it's it's strange that like this is much more in my head a popcorn flick than anything like really important i would love for someone to either agree or disagree with me i um no snyder please snyder i i i know i'm more on brian's side but maybe the best way to talk about this and something i've been thinking about a lot in the last few days is that I, and we've been uh, kind of talking around it a little bit is that this is the first film that seems to have united critics on a Spike Lee movie since uh, I'm thinking Inside Man, but that sounds uh, maybe that's just the one that came into my mind as the most recent crowd pleasing thing. I mean, you think of Chirac, for instance, and you know, there are certainly very strong. Defenders. I'm pretty sure, actually, uh, at least my two co-hosts have talked about liking Chirac in the past. Um, I have never seen Chirac. Oh, you haven't? Okay. Well, either way, my my point being that I guess I want to – I think that there is a really productive conversation to be had here about, uh, you know, is it okay if this is crowd-pleasing entertainment? Like, who is this for? Um, you know, Candace Frederick, uh, who's a previous guest for us, wrote about how Black Klansmen felt like it was specifically written for white audiences. And um, I, I just want to briefly read this quote she wrote, or excuse me, this line from the piece she wrote. It said, it's this uh, micro to macro approach that has already succeeded at clenching the support of many audiences and critics across the spectrum. And maybe that makes Lee's latest effort that much more interesting to discuss than perhaps any of his previous more uncompromising work. Black Klansman seems urgent in a whole new way because it galvanizes a wide audience when the United States is at a fragile point. But at the same time, it needs to, its need to satisfy has positioned its otherwise radical filmmaker at a unique point in his storied career. This is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's something worth confronting. Um, and I have to say before reading that, and I think she says that wonderfully there, uh, that's something I think that's really productive to talk about here uh, is, you know, I, uh, about the ways that it is using this uh, procedural storyline, as uh, Blake mentioned. And as you're saying, Brian, crowbars a message into something that is more comedic. So I, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to segue into this next thing, but I just wondered if any of you 
had any thoughts about this uh, notion of it uniting like kind of a critical community. Um, if I may, um, yeah, go for it. I, I think I think this is actually you actually raise good points, and to your point, like I I actually don't disagree. I obviously like this movie a, a bit more than you guys, and I probably didn't challenge it in a certain regard because I'm like maybe Spike Lee does want to play to the cheap seats and respect by doing something that is mainstream appealing. I, I can't speak for his MO, but what I do know is this is the film that he assembled, and I think it is, while you say the messages are kind of crowbarred, and uh, you know, I think there was a great review by Alyssa Wilkinson uh, where she's like, yeah, 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 all the themes are very heavy-handed and obvious, and yes, they are. I don't think it lacked any potency. Granted, yes, we are talking about one of the most firebrand filmmakers that ever fired a brand. <laughs> uh, it's like, I don't know, maybe maybe we'll call it late period, call it a shift in tone, call it a different writing crew. For what it's worth, I think this kind of different approach, like maybe he was trying to gate crash into a main audience because by my from my vantage point at the end of the movie, I think the, the theme that rung painfully clear to me was this shit never stops uh it never stops it just finds ways of recycling itself whether it's with tiki torches or in very badly chosen language by people within the mainstream um it, it's not about exclusion it's merely about bolstering ourselves and things like that and while extraordinarily heavy-handed i have to admit from a simple visceral reaction point it it you know, kind of socked me in the gut in a very, um, in a very honest way. And while Spike's kind of like stylistic inclinations, the fact that it is kind of a universal late summer kind of like blockbuster, it is a popcorn pleaser. And don't get me wrong. I really, like I said, I, I enjoyed like the car chase stuff and the cop procedural stuff. I also like the left field choices that I think kind of gave it that distinct flow. Like the, um, I don't know if we're in spoiler territory, but a particular like, uh, bedtime talk between a clan member and his wife about their intentions is so like so grotesquely delivered because they believe in the ugliness of their cause and i think that's a kind of scene that spike could only direct the same way he only he could direct like a hysterically dirty three-way in he got game or the way that he kind of does these left field decisions that's where i still felt spike kind of come through even in this format he got game as ostensibly uh you know a child is the father of the man like hoosier's variant of some sort but he manages to make it his own with left field decisions there um and like 25th hour like kind of feels like a bullshit redemption story upon first viewing until i realized that was a film about entitlements upon the third viewing um and i think black Klansman like it is it's hard to trust it it's a hard movie to trust mm. because this feels so unlike the rest of the work that he's done but i kind of gave myself to it because i was like you know the, the the delivery vessel was still pretty sturdy and exciting and it's a weird feeling to be like thrilled by a movie of the subject matter points but it didn't feel any less sincere or exciting or compelling to me and i i love that you're like but we're kind of backpedaling or shoehorning some things and i don't disagree but i also i'm usually okay, i'm this is a weird thing to say i'm okay being manipulated like, like that sometimes <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know I, I don't know if that makes sense but well to me it wasn't even like a manipulation it just felt like at some point someone said like hey i feel like maybe we're we're making too light of the clan um yeah. <laughs> You know, they, they did, they were responsible for a lot of like murder and terror and, uh, maybe we should like 
maybe we should point that out. Um, I do feel like though it's hard it's hard to say that fully because this movie its its secondary purpose is like purely to to tear to shreds Birth of a Nation by D.W. Griffith. Sure. And that which is, is a beautiful scene which we need I would love to talk about more but yeah. Yeah. Um so we we should do that. Um I don't know is <laughs> I mean I'll say that the music in this movie is great. I loved the music. Um it was stuck in my head for a long time. And that's the score, not just talking about the soundtrack, which is also phenomenal. And um yeah, I don't know. I like I think I feel like most of my thoughts are going to need to be explicated in spoilers. So I am ready to hop into that whenever everyone else is. Does anyone have any non-spoiler thoughts they want to get out before we do that? You know, I wanted to speak briefly. You know, I I, I feel like I it sounds like I'm real hard about this movie and I'm making it even sound a little more traditional than I I'd like. I, there is still plenty of spike weirdness here. Like I, I can't, uh, you mentioning the soundtrack, or excuse me, even the way this song uses like Motown songs mm-hmm. is very unusual. Like it, it's not in like to soundtrack some big action scene or to like get you pumped or something. Like there is a, a very specific way that they're deployed that, that establish like, a deep weight of pain. And and so I, I want to be clear that like this, this isn't, this isn't like totally dry or it's not, it doesn't feel like, you know, a journeyman, a director or anything like that, but there is still, yeah, it's, it's kind of what you said, Brian. It's, I didn't feel that fire and I, I wanted to feel uncomfortable (laughs) and I wanted (laughs) to feel um, like I was really being pushed and this comes after I, I spent three and a half hours with, uh, Malcolm X earlier today. And, um, it's fascinating watching that film. And I really wish I could have watched it with pretty much the same audience that I watched with black Klansmen. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Cause you were talking about, um, something, um, oh, and I, and then I had an idea of what I was going to say and then I forgot it, but then we talked about Bradley Woodford and get out and I remembered what it was. So I so in in get out in get out that's a that there was a lot of there was a lot of uh trouble online when that was nominated for like best comedy at the Golden Globes and I found that to be a funny movie but I was still terrified of the white people and that's because like their clueless progressive racism and their kind of like overt power in that situation contrasted against like the absurdity of everything they were doing was hilarious in an unsettling way. And in this movie, I don't know, man, the Klansmen just are so fucking dumb and they're just so stereotypical. Like it, it just, like Ivanhoe specifically. Uh, yeah. Ivanhoe Felix. Like, I think I compared them to the country bears in my review. <laughs> And that is, and that is like they are brown jug hicks, and you know, I was really okay with that. For uh, what but it's like, worth. there's there's a whole thing of like we want, we don't like these people are ridiculous. Even the people who like march nowadays are fucking ridiculous with their like shitty haircuts and their polo shirts and their goddamn tiki torches. Like they just are a parody. <laughs> but but there is a canny fury 
behind their eyes. Like when you see those pictures of Charlottesville, it, it's a contrast to look at what they're doing and look at how they look when they're yes. doing it. Like the, the hatred and the intent and the certitude in their faces is off-putting. And that's why it's not so like, I feel like most people before that were like, that guy who followed the clan with a tuba. If you remember that viral video, yes, <laughs> like they seem absurd. I will treat them as such, but then yeah. you just see like these young, like white men and they just have so much anger and fury. And you're like, it doesn't matter if this fucking dude is like a barista at like a Starbucks knockoff, like, and he's just a powerless little wimp. Like, there is an intention behind those eyes and he is there with those people who agree with him. And that is like dangerous. Like, and in this movie, I don't know, like they're trying to say like, this is a group of people who we need to be on the lookout for. But I'm like these Keystone cops, Beverly hillbilly knockoff, stupid sons of bitches. Like what could they possibly do? There's never a moment, even when they're out in the field shooting at like racist caricature metal targets that I really like felt any of that. And it's, I think it's to the movie's detriment. And I think that that is again, one of those things that like they try to overcorrect at some point mm-hmm. and like they, they, they bring up like historical lynchings and birth of a nation and, and some modern things. But like, you know, having a sergeant white mansplain to a a black detective how one day Donald Trump is going to be president. Sure. Like, that just is a weird move for a movie that's like, these guys are dumb. They can't do nothing. Like, they can't, they can't even like sit down without like one of their fat wives waddling in and like saying some dumb shit. And they, they, for some reason hate Jews to the point of like making a study of them, but they don't know the word circumcised. Like sure. if, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that I have gotten from listening to like hyper right wing podcasts and watching documentaries about like the new right and, and like neo fascists and white ethno nationalists. It's that, they are spectacularly well-read about the people that they hate. And they may get everything wrong, but they know the terms and can speak semi-eloquently about their insane ideas. Yeah, I think, yeah, Brian, I, I, I felt this too, and I'm not quite sure how to articulate it, but I, you know, bring it back to viral things. You know, you think about uh, baked Alaska, that neo-Nazi who was maced in the eyes. And, you know, it was, that was something that was shared or, you know, Richard Spencer being punched and how it became like a me moment where everybody found a different soundtrack and they were amazing to watch. But like in the same way, uh, this, this feels almost, almost cowardly to me in the same way as something like, uh, Catherine Bigelow's Detroit last year, which is a film that incredibly disappointed me because it kind of felt like it kind of had a both sides mentality in the sense that you had cops who were just like ridiculous racists. Well, not ridiculous racists, but they're, they were defined only by racism. 
and they didn't have that that uh, the courage of their convictions the way you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think this as well is it's mixing caricatures and mixing, you know, like history uh, that that loses me we're, when we're then supposed to, as you're saying, saying Brian, like uh, as a premonition for what the future could be, it's very strange to have to make that jump from, uh, you know, look at these motherfuckers uh, to, uh, you know, this is the new, the new form of, of hate. Uh, and I, I feel like it's disingenuous, um, in a way that Spike usually isn't, or at least negotiates. And I, I think that there are really only a few scenes where it does seem to like deal with that. Like I, a number of people have caught on to the fact that like, this will be surprisingly really interested in Jewish identity. Yeah. <laughs> like Adam Driver's, uh, um, sorry, Jewishness is, is something that is interrogated in like multiple different scenes, like in ex- an explicit narrative way, as well as a thematic way. But like, then when you, uh, look to Ron, uh, as played by John David Washington, like the one major scene we see where he is having complicated reactions is one where he's listening to an activist. Um, I, and you know, that's an incredible scene, but to me, that seems like one of, the only times that we are uh, seeing like the power of influence as this film wants to show it. Like, and especially like when you consider how much this movie is like interested in like, you know, visibility and invisibility of specific, specifically black people, you know, you know, have jokes about um, the cops being like, you know, they don't like, uh, you, you know, they don't like black activists, but OJ, don't ever say a bad thing about OJ in front of those cops. Look, white people loved OJ. <laughs> and it's it's that disconnect that I definitely want to get, we'll need spoilers to like definitely interrogate more. But um, I mean, Blake, I, I'm curious, mm-hmm. I, as someone who does really like this, and I'm sorry that we're no, 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 no. backing you in this corner. <laughs> Um, it's a damn fine corner. I'm fine. No, (laughs) you're good. And Snyder, I love that you brought up Detroit because that is a a movie that absolutely does not work because it kind of relishes in its own barbarism. And, um, while it's kind of meditating on like the same era, thoughts, moods, opinions, what have you, Black Klansman at least captures something in a much more, dare I say, appealing kind of way. Again, back to the crowd pleaser, entertaining notions of it. Um, and you're right, from from an ideological standpoint and kind of the ups and downs of this, I guess this is going to sound like such a cop-out, but it's also like I kind of gave the movie a pass on the grounds of 1970s idiocy. These little phone conversations, quibbles about why these voices don't match the behaviors of these people. And what's kind of interesting is like you were talking about the deadness in the well, not the deadness, like the the seething anger in young white men's eyes. And I still kind of see it in like these Colorado homemaking crowds. Yes, it totally like plays on homemaker um, obviousness. And yet there is something very unnerving and kind of telling about like how they are your friends and neighbors to these characters. They are really organized. They're disciplined. They're also kind of idiots. And I accepted it on all those 
kinds of different terms. And, you know, yes, that is actually, that is a very fair point that I'm willing to give. Like the police officer saying you best watch out is so insanely on the nose that it's kind of easy to write off. And yet at the same time, I don't think it's any less true what he's saying for what it's, it's a weird vehicle for that statement to be made a weird person for those words to come out of. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I don't think it was wrong if that's, I don't know if that's an excuse or me just being like, yeah, well, you know, people are just going to say shit. But the shit that the movie has to say about just kind of the discipline, organization, manners and mania of these people still gets at something a lot more, a lot more valuable or at least a lot more engaging than, say, Detroit's just like two and a half hours of brutality in the service of well times were tough <laughs> um, i know that i didn't mean to like leave it to beaver that but uh, no, sure, sure. Know, yeah um not to sound glib but it's just like i think black Klansman at least is in the service of something much more noble and even if it's a little shaky at points i think the words ring true at different points and i think the sentiments ring true structurally yeah it does kind of like it does have to contend with its own like mass appeal versus its cold, dead, hard truths that it wants to address. But, but I don't think it ever is kind of um, completely out of whack in terms of what it wants to get at, which is to say, uh, look out in the shortest form possible. I mean, and I see a lot of what you guys are saying and the, the awkwardness of it, because like, look, Spike is nothing if not someone who's always kind of uh, been strangely handed, I'll say. It's like a discussion I had about Chirac, and he basically says this is supposed to be a spoof on gun violence. And, I mean, come on, if women were withholding sex, of course that would uh, stop gun violence. And that is a stupid joke if you think about it for about two minutes too long until you realize you were kind of having fun watching David Patrick Kelly ride a cannon like a giant phallus in Chirac, so you just go with it anyways. And I think that's kind of the mentality I came to Black Klansman with. Like, I'm willing to accept your your punches and the way that you're kind of moving around, even if it doesn't always make sense. I kind of allow, I give it a lot of weight or a lot of freedom to kind of do and say how it felt it needed to. And no, it doesn't fully add up. And yet at the same time, it felt like it did. I don't know. Maybe I'm just now I'm reaching into the power of movies got me to ignore the problems, <laughs> but it really is something that like, yeah, it won me over in a lot of ways. So. The spell cast by those images on that big screen. <laughs> I tell you what, it just cannot be beat. Um, it's like really there in front of me, you guys, you know, have you heard of the term scopophilia? That movie was for me. Uh, no, but, but yeah, I don't know. I really, it was about a commit for me and I, I, I just gave myself in. All right. Uh, Bill Graham, we haven't heard from you because you've had some technical difficulty, but you're back. Would you like to say any final thoughts before we go into spoilers? Sure. I didn't know if we were starting the podcast over again. <laughs> what was going on? Uh, I ran into the middle of that. Uh, you know, I think one thing that, that Michael kind of left with um, that he was mentioning was that this film feels oddly like like it has – it's almost like it's it's been, I don't know, neutered in a way. And I definitely feel like 
coming from Chirac to this is really interesting to just kind of see how much of a crowd pleaser this one really is. And I think one thing that's interesting about this film is that he does add some stylistic choices that I really enjoyed, uh, whether it's during this long speech where he focuses on each of the individual black uh, audience members in, in the background and he flashes them their silhouette or their their images uh up on screen individually um and you know there's some other moments whether it's like the two characters talking on a bridge and when they mention a movie it flashes up on the screen and it's just kind of like those little stylistic choices that i really kind of appreciate that shows someone that is fully in in control of the message and in control of what he's doing on the screen to the point where you know during a a more crowd pleasing, more mainstream film that wasn't made by someone named Spike Lee, perhaps that kind of stuff would have been the studio would have just jumped in and been like, nah, that's that's weird. Don't do that. You know? <laughs> and he you know, ultimately the 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 money would have just been like, okay, well, if I want to keep my movie, then I will just pull it along. I'm going to try and oversell it and overstate it as some big giant stylistic choice that like rang true to me throughout the entire film. No, but I mean, it is those little things um, that I kind of enjoyed that really kind of told me and reminded me who was behind the screen while you're having this relatively crowd pleasing film. So it's, it's an interesting dichotomy for sure. All right, let's move on to spoilers. Yes. Talk about what we've only been talking about obliquely. Um, so <sighs> I don't even know. I don't. I don't really know how to begin this. I I feel like there has been. I think that the division around this movie is most starkly seen in the response to the very very ending of this movie, which is which the, is the American flag. What? No, the, the footage, the footage of, of Charlottesville. Well, you, said, you said the very, very end. So I thought you meant the very, very end. What I meant was the like sag after Teamsters images that pop up to let you know that this movie was union made. No, what I mean is also, that final. Universal, ask for Babs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what no, I mean I is <laughs> the narrative itself ends and then suddenly we get like a three minute YouTube compilation video of what happened in Charlottesville and the way that like David Duke was there and the way that president Trump responded to it and even images of the car plowing into the group of people. And to my, to my mind, I don't like it again, just going back to my hidden figures thing. Like it's, it's weird. It's weird in a way that I just don't think I just don't think it belongs at the end of this movie because it feels like the movie is trying to make a point and then it almost undermines its own point. And I don't know if it's trying to shame an audience for thinking that there could be an answer or if it's 
doing like something else. Like I, I guess you know, as as a person who seems to have liked this movie the most, Blake, I'm, how do you how do you reconcile the kind of buffoonery of the white supremacists in the movie proper the sure. the way that the the one truly racist cop is like caught and punished at the end of this movie to the cheers of everyone in the police department Bizarre scene <laughs> and the way yeah. and the way that like they they like really you know get one over on that wily david duke at the end by like shaming him on the telephone with the I don't like with the, then the the you go to you go to images of Charlottesville and like I yeah. said these angry white men um, screaming like blood and soil and Jews will not replace us and then ultimately killing someone. You should probably no, mention not, the lieutenant yeah. real quick too. I'd, I'd yeah, say that's yeah. one other thing that is part of it of them going to the lieutenant and, and told that they have budget cuts and that their investigation is essentially over and it needs to be buried. Mm. Uh, yeah, no. So in, in terms of kind of reconciling, again, I, I know I'm repeating myself, but like I could adjust the tone just fine. And part of the reason I was able to adjust the tone, uh, Snydell, you watched Malcolm X last night, right? Uh, today. Or today. Okay. Yep. And one of the things uh, stylistically that actually kind of helped me with this ending, because believe me, yes, it is like going from uh, A to awful Z in a lot of respects. Um the end of Malcolm X, like you kind of have this very robust epic. And then at the the bitter end of the movie, you kind of have this epilogue with Ozzie Davis narrating as they show footage of real children in real classrooms. And I accepted it as kind of a stylistic divergence because I think Spike is uh, already at this point kind of expressed his willingness to shift on a dime uh, throughout Black Klansman because you have those feel good movements. Take that stinky racist police officer. Sorry. The case is over, but then you have that hard, hard, and I think I, I think I was actually kind of buttered up to it in a way that I, I don't think you guys quite were, uh, which is that uh, what is it? The case is over, and yet Stallworth starts to walk away from his telephone as it begins to ring. But that telephone ring is so blaring, and it's kind of a reminder that, like, I know I'm repeating myself, it's never over, it's never quite over, or it's not done yet. And I was willing to accept the stylistic shift in the way I'm willing to accept kind of like this, uh, kind of a pastiche. And maybe it's me. Uh, this is going to sound like horseshit, but coming out of art school, you really accept a lot of tack on work and patchwork from people. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's kind of what the ending felt like to me. Like it is adornment, but I still think it serves a purpose as that hard reminder. Not only is there the telephone, the telephone ring, it's the escalation to uh stalworth and his girlfriend in the hallway doing the signature spike shot as they go down to the hallway and you see the clan still doing the shit that they were going to try and get at doing in the first place which is mm -hmm. burn across and they're framed in like epic uh epically lit style with romantic terrence blanchard music and by the way i'm pretty sure blanchard was like directly riffing on and parodying the gone with the wind score uh, score with this mm -hmm. um and then it goes into that footage. And what was interesting at a critic screening, another person asked me, why the fuck did Spike black out that, that white guy's eyeballs in the middle of the protest mm. march? And I'm still kind of mediating that myself. But I feel like there has to be some reason to, like, are we suggesting that he's subhuman? These people aren't worthy of our time. Whatever the case, I, I was kind of, I can't put the right words to the feeling, but I feel like I was provoked, reminded, 
challenged about my own privileges and assertions and just kind of like, it's like the case closing is the reminder that Charlottesville was a year ago and we've gone through about 1500 news cycles of horseshit since then mm-hmm. about awful subgroups doing awful different behaviors. You have medical subjugation, you have different racial subjugation, you have people being put in, in, um, cages, families being torn apart this summer. And yet we're still dealing with kind of the dog whistle era of like signaling to people that it's cool to be racist so long as you use the right keywords, code words, bullshit language about, well, you know, there are people that are kind of ugly on both sides. And it is a hard, hard thing to kind of like be confronted with. We're going to be playful for a minute. And maybe that was a direct choice to say, look, if we do a two hour dower fest, no one's going to want to watch this. I can't purport to know why. But again, I accepted those shifts because I think they all served a purpose, whether it be silly or serious. And I don't know, again, to the rubber band, I'm, I'm was totally okay with that. And I was kind of like shaken by the end of it because this was only a year ago. This was only a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we've thought about so many hundreds of millions of different things. I actually have uh, um, a friend who's a professor in Charlottesville and they had to put signs up in the theater warning people about that ending mm. because it apparently uh, it, it is eliciting strong reactions from the crowd. That photo of Heather Heyer kind of sends a chill down the spine. One person and yet one person who has become pseudo symbolic of this instance. And it kind of just shows how racism echoes in history, whether we think it goes away or not, it's still there, pervasive, just in different new forms. And I don't know, maybe because of that, I was cool with some of the sillier stuff because it's like a reprieve, I guess. And maybe that's kind of what was so appealing to me, like, well, at least we can have a little bit of fun, thank God, hopefully. But that's also a challenging thing to do when you're dealing with such hard material. I don't know. I mean, you guys really, though, like, could you, did you really have trouble with the pivots? I know you were talking about, like, ideologically, it's just kind of weird that you would say, all right, all's well that ends well. And now we're going to remind you, by the way, that it doesn't end well. I don't know. I, I, I was on board with it. I think, I think the ending does enough to shift you towards the end to get out of that mode to basically say the spell is broken and that this isn't going to go the way that you think it's going to go um you know making friends with racists and things like that uh kind of laying in that bed is not necessarily going to get you where you think it might and i didn't have a a a real issue with the tonal shift because he like i said and and you mentioned it he does kind of do the you know cross burning as the final set piece of the film itself proper and then we shift to the rally and then we shift to all the footage in charlottesville and stuff like that and i think that's not a tonal shift i think that flows very well and you know judging by the reaction from my own audience it was very stirring and very effective in what it was trying to do and in a way it is kind of a bold you know add on to the end of this film where you're laughing and you're kind of you know i think it's 
a little bit too much to say that the KKK seems like they're buffoons. I think there's obviously one character that, you know, is played for absolute laughs. But for the most part, they seem to be fairly intelligent about what they're trying to do and what they're going about to the point where I had never understood and heard, you know, and I'm sure this is a Google search away, but I had never done the research and figured out that they don't apparently call themselves the clan they call themselves the organization which is just you know it's just smart enough to be smart <laughs> you know <laughs> it's it's like oh that's actually kind of brilliant you don't say the clan out loud to you know especially people coming into the clan right you don't say that word until you get to know them until you can kind of breathe them into the brethren and stuff like that um so you know it's also interesting to see how much they see the radical members of their party within themselves and how they kind of deal with that. And that's kind of touching on a different issue that I hope we can kind of go down and talk about, which I found interesting. So, but yeah, the ending, I didn't find that tonal shift radically upsetting. I just found it to be effective. I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily ideological or I, I think I have ideological problems with maybe the overall or the the muddled nature of the uh, this uh, that overall ending. But I think it is you know Spike's done stuff like this. Uh, you know the, the beginning of Malcolm X is cut with a flag burning and the Rodney King uh, or uh, Rodney King being assaulted by a police officer. Mm-hmm. Chirac has a State of the Nation address with the lyrics on screen with. Uh, John John Legend, I believe. I'm sorry, I can't remember who. Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon. That's, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, you know when I when I jump to you know to those two examples, or recent examples um, of times when he is playing with this notion of present tense and fantasy, I, that's where Black Clansman loses me. I, is at what point am I supposed to stop seeing this as escapism? How am I supposed to reconcile that scene where they do, you know, catch the racist cop? Um, and, you know, that is played as this kind of triumphant, uh, triumphant moment for the team. And then to switch to Heather uh, higher in, as as Brian said, I don't know whether he meant it as a pejorative, but certainly I saw it as a pejorative. Is like of like YouTube quality level uh, compilation um, feels really really weird and tacked on in a way that doesn't doesn't necessarily feel like oh he didn't feel like he was reaching into the present because there's obviously other nods to the present. But when you contrast that with what to me was uh, – or not contrast, uh, but uh, um, consider that with an ending that to me was extremely unsatisfying um, on a formal level or, or is very anticlimactic, especially right after uh, you know, kind of the – oh, God, I was going to say barn burner. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> After the, you know, uh, 
the very explosively edited sequence that cuts between uh, Harry Belafonte and the induction of the KKK. Like that is something that is so smartly edited in the way that it cuts and the way that it's drawing comparisons between um, white nationalism and black power on surface levels and then showing it as, you know, hate. Like there's such a sense of intelligence there and discernment that feels like it's just completely missing in that end in a way that he usually seems so much more clever to me. And it's very possible that I'm just misreading that. But I think uh, that's my super drawn out answer to what you were, you were speaking of. Like, no, no. And that's the thing. I, I feel like he's gone outside of stories to create frameworks for true stuff. Like I'm trying to remember now in summer Sam when they have like a local newscaster open the movie and be like, New York city, 1970, whatever Sam was running around. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? But then I'm just like, well, it's a stylistic dig- digression. While that does not feel at place with the whole, it also feels absolutely essential to the whole to kind of bring you in from, and this is, this is kind of what, um, uh, was it, uh, William, you were saying earlier about like the, the images of movie posters on the screen while they're having a conversation over the river. Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of like spike thrives within the, the, the flourishes within the margin. That's where he's kind of able to take the stock and elevate it into the serene, into the genuinely creative. And even if it doesn't kind of always work, like he has this tendency to put his foot in his mouth through digressions. Um, he also commits, and even if it didn't feel right, I admire his nerve for saying it in this venue, in this format. Like, the only time I've ever truly found him to be chicken shit about his work was like, uh, well, actually, no, two times. Red Hook Summer takes a very serious issue about um, church abuses and then just kind of wanders away from the conversation because he doesn't know how to actually talk about it. The other one was Inside Man, where he tries to elevate an otherwise kind of... I don't like Inside Man. I think it's a boring heist movie that he puts... I'm really so sorry. He puts everything he has from his style onto a story I could not have given a shit about. Um, But for what it's worth, like, I don't think... Actually, no, old boy, that one sucked too. Man, he really fucks up sometimes. Anyway, um, (laughs) he's also... Good. I still kind of like to sweep Let It Jesus. Uh, um, he, I don't know. I, I'm now I'm just ranking these these choices in his oeuvre, uh, and I think it works better than some of his more failing moments of these little like uh, bookends and and divergences, as it were. And like the Harry Belafonte stuff, I love how it kind of was it me or was he breaking the fourth wall by addressing the audience in that scene? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think Harry. Hold on, hold on. Harry Balafonte is the black man that's speaking to to the group of other uh, black radicals, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. About the yes, and, and about the lynching inter- in Waco. Yes. Yes, and how it's intercut with them yelling "white power" and ultimately at the end. But yeah, that that speech in the middle is f- fucking disturbing and yeah, uh, scary and. I, yeah. The only the only issue I had with that is like when he takes the turn and just starts talking about Birth of a Nation. Mm-hmm. I, only because it it feels like 
I don't know. It just like everything he was saying was so like immediate and visceral and um, personal to him, that character. And then he's like, now let's turn this into my film school dissertation. Let's talk about Birth of a Nation, guys. And it's just it was it was just kind of weird because it seemed like he was there to like put a a face and like a voice to this horrible moment. And then it just kind of like it kind of felt weird to like really go for Birth of a Nation and then like cut to the white supremacist watching it because it's like so I uh, I guess like I understand what's happening, but it seems weird to like try to give that much power to this movie when I guess like what I really want is for them to talk about like just how shitty like racially prejudiced people in like a large group can be and like how like the mania of people feed off of other people was I the only who felt that way because I'm I'm willing to just let that uh, die if that's the case no 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 I, I think you're it does sit kind of curiously right uh, because after all this, all these exercises and polemics about racism, we have a speech on a movie. Um, and yeah, again, it's, it's kind of awkward. And yet at the same time, it is a movie that is absolutely motivated by race and ideology. This, this is where I had like the, the, the film school guilt during the movie, because like, I'm a guy who's taken classes like Nazi cinema to check new wave cinema for, um, for giggles. And like, in Nazi cinema, you see how they develop propaganda with the sole express purpose to kind of convey an ideology. Have you guys ever heard of the movie Jew Seuss? This is so ugly. Uh, it's a movie that was developed by the Nazis about like an evil Jewish uh, Rabbi Shylock caricature uh, with curly hair and evil eyes and spindly fingernails, except he infiltrates the Aryan masses, and it shows how people kind of ruin the good standing of the, the, the white German class, the classically blonde, beautiful class. And it's not that far removed from the kind of things that was happening with Birth of a Nation. You can say that it's an epic about the Civil War and be right. You can also say it's a movie that kind of has a lot of hate in its heart and its depictions, and you're also right. And again, like, no, I think you're kind of like, I, I see what you're saying in that. Why are we talking about a film uh, when we've been talking about racial interactions and attitudes? But at the same time, this is a movie that's kind of defined by its its attitudes towards race, the same way that Calm with the Wind is defined by the views of classical uh americana and the south rising again and things like that that was they showed the actual like clip of the movie at the beginning right was was that an actual clip or was that a recreation i I couldn't i couldn't tell it it looked like a real clip to me but i couldn't tell either yeah yeah it's gone with the wind and then yeah it's the gone with the wind scene and then it's the uh yeah alec baldwin we can mention now right yeah fucking alec baldwin just walking in (laughs) so you didn't like you didn't like that, Brian? No, I didn't. Um, In my defense, I like 30 Rock, and I still think Alec Baldwin's funny, even though he is super fucking annoying. I'll give you that. He's also, like, a horrible human being, but... Yeah, it's, he's kind yeah. of an asshole. <laughs> I think my problem with it is, again, it's just kind of weird to me that, like, they're trying to make it buffoonish. Like, when when there are people on YouTube who are making videos that are like that, that are getting, like, a lot of followers. Like... 
Like Alex Jones supercuts. <laughs> yeah. And like, I just, I don't know. Like we can think that these things are crazy and funny, but like they have a real like power. And like, I guarantee that some of those fucking assholes in Charlottesville and the ones who tried to come here to DC like last weekend have been seduced by like some shitty video on YouTube that had worse production values than that. And like, it's, it's just weird. I don't know. I just like, it's, it's, it was hard for me to like grapple with showing the absurdity of it, but then also showing like, Oh, like, I don't know. Like you take what Alec Baldwin is doing and then you take the, the, the neo or not the neo-Nazis, the, the Klansmen that they show. And it's like, yeah, but those guys were seduced by that, that idea. They found purpose there and they are organizing and like, they're doing bad things. Like, you know, fucking uh, Timothy McVeigh was like an anti-government white separatist piece of shit who loved the Turner diaries. And like, we would probably read the Turner diaries and laugh about how fucking poorly written it is and how racist it is. But the guy killed a shit ton of people. And like, like he did it like the, these, these things as hilarious and repulsive as they are to us, like they have a real resonance with people. And I think that it almost would have been better just to show the, the, the Klansmen in this like talking or like, you know, really like getting into birth of a nation, not having Harry Belafonte talk directly about it, but like trying to, I mean, I don't know, like audiences are dumb. Sure. But like maybe just hope that we would draw our own conclusion because the movie is about white people, you know, attacking African-Americans like recently freed slaves because they're like, quote unquote, a threat to like white womanhood and like white society. And it just feels weird to like underline it like that at the same time that you are treating other things that are drawing people in as so buffoonish. It's almost like, well, you know, fake science or like, you know, radically misread science and, you know, social alienation or perceived social alienation. Like those are dumb as shit. What we really got to be careful for is birth of a nation. Let me ask you this, Brian, because I'm curious why you think that that sequence in the opening is buffoonish. Is it because it's Alec Baldwin specifically? It's partially that, but it's also because he's acting like a fucking buffoon. Like he's forgetting his well, lines. He's coughing. I mean, he's like, I mean, I mean, that's just an uncut version of that. right. But I mean, why show you know, the uncut version if not to make him seem like a buffoon? I think because you're showing that he is human and that's the most dangerous thing about any of this is you show that these people are actual real human beings if you show the pristine version of that speech it almost reads as propaganda to start the film right but it's, it's giving them, us it's giving us an insight into the kind of propaganda that is getting these you know racist white people to organize for like a violent armed rebellion but by showing us the uncut version that they probably didn't see it's just making their complicity seem even more buffoonish like it's 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 making them seem easily fooled rather than like cannily seduced because it's it's not a pristine version of it yeah well i think 
I think there's almost uh, there's two sides to the, the one that I want to bring up is you know I, I Brian I, I mean I kind of feel the same way about this in the same way we were talking about Detroit but I, there's also something weird in my head in asking um, in, in asking a, a director who wants to make something about race to you know assert uh, some form of this is going to sound weird, but stick with me for, your, for a sec. Assert some form of white supremacy. And in terms of you think about the cinematic history of white people on screen, whether it's explicitly racist things or just general cinema, like white people have long been shown as, you know, clever and, you know, without getting into filmmaking that is explicitly prejudicial, like it's fair to say that the canon of Western filmmaking is white supremacist in a, in a way. Um, uh, and, and I want to say that because like, I, I think that is a, is something that I'm asking myself as well while watching this, when I continue to want um, white people who aren't a joke to show the seriousness of it. And, and it's something weird to ask. And, and to be fair, I do think that, uh, I'm sorry, not Trevor. Um, who is the main person of the KKK chapter? Walter? Who's not a crazy person. I think his name is uh, Walter. Or, or who's not like a uh, hothead. Yeah. I, it, it's Walter. Yeah. Yes. Oh, <laughs> All right. uh, like, Walter Breachway. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, like Walter, I think, is closer to what, I, in my mind, would make this more effective. If there were more people like Walter instead of more like Ivanhoe or more like, you know, Felix, who is, as you're saying, Brian, makes jokes about circumcision. I, I think you're you're right on that there is a weird uh, undermining here to make it make all of these characters feel pathetic. But yeah, then the other part is just like, am I asking something unfair in asking for that? When you consider that so much of cinema, for instance, has so many black characters who did not get the proper development, you know, isn't it good that we're getting a movie about black characters where the white characters maybe aren't developed. Enough? But, okay. I don't, I don't give a, I don't give a fuck about their development. They don't need to be well-rounded. I need this movie to some way come like, are these people oafish buffoons or are they like, a clear and present danger to to everyone like is it both? both like but then that's what i'm talking about with like the the get out thing like that was like maybe he is trying to make them both but in that case to my eyes it this movie fails to do that because even like there was never a point in this movie where i felt as though these clan characters were were dangerous like even when she has really? that fucking bomb hmm. she goes up and like instead of just throwing her goddamn bag against like the bushes the side of the house she's yeah. like gives up because she can't fit in the fucking mailbox like and and again you know <laughs> um tim mcveigh he was supposed to park in the parking garage couldn't get under so what did he do he parked directly underneath the daycare like like these people are are vicious 
horrible people without a drip of like humanity or morality to them. And it just, it just like, I, I didn't even realize I was so angry about it until I just started talking about it now. But like, it just annoys me to like, to just like kind of like neuter them so much when they're responsible for so many fucking people dying. <laughs> well, I think, I think that's kind of the point of the end. But that's, right? that's is... my, that's my issue with the end is the end feels like, oh shit. You know what we totally forgot to do was make <laughs> these people seem like the historical imminent threat to both people, property and democracy that they actually are. But that's, well, uh, and, and then there's worth, that speech in the but, middle. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did, you, you were both talking over one another. Blake, could you, what did you sorry, say? Uh, just quickly, I, I did view them as a threat. I absolutely view them as a threat because I, and I kind of worded it this way in my review, there is something, and it ties into get out. There is something eminently threatening about a confident white man who, while mannered as they may be, can still kind of walk into a room and get away with whatever kind of shit that they want. And maybe that's just, that was part of the conditioning that I had walking into this movie. Like David Duke is actually quite a nice, polite, charming motherfucker over the phone. But knowing that he's David Duke, I'm like, oh, he would slit a person's throat if he knew he could probably 100% get away with it. So I guess manners make it the man i, I don't know i i <laughs> i view these guys absolutely as threats from the get-go i i mean and that's and that's that's good i'm glad that it, it worked that way for you i just like if for me no, i was no, i just couldn't I get over that saying, but that, i think yeah i think you and i have different eyes on this one and it's it's real fair it's you're absolutely i don't think you're wrong at all but i i saw it differently my issue is i saw them as a threat until the moment that they start getting in the car and start to chase her down. Once that sequence started to happen, there was something in the way that it just felt anticlimactic. Um, and it felt almost buffoonery that I feel like a lot of its drama was sucked out of it. Um, but up until that point, I definitely felt that they were definitely a threat so but you know i think i think that speech in the middle does enough to lay that groundwork that they are a threat that even just a mob of them not even with weapons necessarily but in open air if nobody intervenes this is the shit that they would do and this is the shit that they've gotten away with historically and you know, I think it's interesting because they kind of set that seed of the police being part of it as well, which is, you know, again, things that are happening in open air without necessarily, well, I mean, obviously most of the time with a weapon, but it's like, it's not a weapon that you would necessarily consider a mass weapon of mass destruction. It's a pistol. You know, and it's just like, but that's enough in the right circumstance. I don't know. It's no, not this. Can this I, if I can tack on to that? <laughs> so yeah, tack on, not to sound like a Twitter platitude, but the thing, the messaging that I keep seeing is like, you can never let your guard down. And mm. that whole sequence of events was kind of a, like, I don't know, I felt lucky that that was the only thing that happened within that scene. 
but it's a reminder. Like, there are probably thousands of other white people planning the same shit all the time that we don't know about. Maybe I kind of bought into that with the scene with the FBI um, and, and uh, Officer Stallworth, but, like, I don't know. I just, it was like a sigh of relief. Like this could have been so much fucking worse and it probably can get worse unless we stay vigilant, not to, not to play that theme into the, the film's hands. Let's be paranoid all the time about crazy fucking white people, which we probably should be. I, I think what, again, what, what complicates even these dynamics and something, I guess, we haven't talked about a lot because I don't I don't know honestly how much I have to say about it, but him being a cop is a, a yeah. an aspect that is you know weirdly obviously fundamental to the story, but not really fundamental to either of the characters. It, it, when, when I say either of the characters, I mean uh, Adam Driver as Ron and John David Washington as Ron, you know, this double consciousness like that. I think the Ku Klux Klan stuff bothers me even more when you consider how it's placed next to the police stuff, which is also, you know, just kind of inconsistently rears its head. You know, you have the the shithead or the dipshit cop who, you know, says toad and, uh, you know, racial and invectives regular, regularly to him. And then you have the, the captain or the lieutenant who sends him to be a, you know, a, a guard for David Duke. But, you know, it's, it's those things as well that aren't really, um, put to the test, like, like speaking of not necessarily a cuddliness, but a, a lack of friction there. Uh, those are things, I, again, that I also didn't feel like were, uh, were really truly explored. Um, I, I don't know how much we want to, uh, one controversial, um, reaction to this film is, is one from Boots Riley who uh, <laughs> directed the recent Sorry to Bother You. Um, I, I've seen a lot of responses to that. But I, I do think there is something useful in talking about how this film discusses cops wherever you land uh, on them in, in this moment. And especially when you uh, pair that with the ending of this film that basically doesn't talk about – or not uh, – I shouldn't say the ending, the final montage, like doesn't bring in cops at, at all from what I remember. So there's, there's some cops in the middle of some of that protest, but they don't show much more than just them breaking up situations because it, it, it was a weird situation. It was, it was two protest groups basically meeting in the middle at some points. And it's just like, well, fuck guys. Like, (laughs) <laughs> like, what do you think is going to happen in the middle of that when y'all get close? And, you know, the people that are on the front lines are more than likely going to be the most radical and you put them buttoning up against each other and mm-hmm. yeah, shit is going to happen. So, you know, there's, there's this weird situation going on in that, in that protest specifically, um, where the cops were just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, like, 
are we supposed to keep y'all away from each other? Why are y'all walking towards each other? You know, it's, it's one of those situations where, and look, I don't know what was happening on the grounds, but there was a shit ton of people in Charlottesville around that time. So, you know, I'm sure they tried to keep the peace as best they could with whatever means without, you know, going above and beyond. Cause you know, obviously there's a lot of racial tension there. Thankfully there was a lot of white people on white people. crime. <laughs> um, you know, so that's weird, but that's what happens at some of those situations. Sorry. I didn't know for real though. I, I just, uh, I find it very weird that this uses a cop story as a delivery vehicle for a story about racism, but it's not really about cops and doesn't really acknowledge their complicity. Uh, sorry, complicity. Oh my God. Complicity. complicity. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, their compl- complicity other than <laughs> you almost fucked it up again. <laughs> Shut what up. is happening? You're in compliment city. <laughs> uh, they're, involvement other than like you know people in charge being racist i I just find something very strange about this film and i I just wondered if anyone had any thoughts about um the ways that this film uh discusses like cops in general So Snyder, this is Boots Riley that kind of brought this up, right? Or he, he, did you see that comment on Twitter where he mentioned, why do I have to see a fucking cop movie? And someone's like, you don't have to see it, Mr. Riley. Have you heard of this film? Uh, sorry to bother you. Completely <laughs> unaware of who the fuck he was talking to. It was awesome. Oh, is that an unaware um, thing? Yeah. I think it would have been hilarious if that person was just like, dude, you made a different movie. <laughs> just watch your own shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean... Can a can a police procedural can a cop vehicle address these issues in non ham fisted or insightful or genuine manner? I, I think so. I do think it complicates the, the matters quite a bit, especially with its like range from leadenly serious approach to light as a feather comedy. Um, it didn't get in the way, though, in terms of being kind of like a, a, an exercise in racial, racial, the discourse, as it were. Uh, but that is like, why does it have to be another cop story? I don't know. It, it almost like when it started bragging about Shaft in the middle of the movie, I think it was proud to be the kind of story that it was in this style. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is certainly a love for even this type of film, like not necessarily cops, but I do think, and I want to be clear, Boots Riley put out his statement, which was written on like three pages in like notepad or something. And oh, it wow. is a, an unwieldy, very unappealing way to read someone's thoughts about something. But I do think nonetheless that there is something to be said about whether this film is pro or anti-cop when we are in a society that is not only combating, you know, racism through, you know, fucking Nazis, but also police brutality cases. Like, you know, it's even strange to think about the fact that 
this compilation, you know, uh, of, uh, is it Heather Hare or Hire? I'm sorry, I guess. I don't know. I think it's Hare. Okay. Of, of Hare, like, I feel like that would just as likely be included with, um, with, with footage of any number of police brutality cases, uh, like the ways that those are conflated in our current discourse makes it very strange uh, to have a film that is specifically about two cops who are dealing with this. And uh, obviously that's the point, but I'm not sure, it, or, or I should say that that is ostensibly the point, but I'm not convinced that this has something meaningful to say about that perspective or, or that disconnect. Well, I think one thing that's interesting is certainly the woman that he's interested in very much rejects the fact that he's even a cop and that he can do any good within that system. Um, which is an argument to this day that can be made about whether people within a system that is broken fundamentally can help and fix within that system or if you have to only go through other radical means. Um, so you know, there are no clear answers there because I don't think there are any clear answers. I think, I think there are people working within systems that are broken that are trying to help and fix the system. And then there's people on the outside that aren't doing the work from within that just either want to shout or want to get, I guess, maybe in the political sphere or things of that nature and just raise awareness. Um, You know, and there's something to be said about the fact that she basically points at him at some at one point in this film and says, you're not doing anything to help. And it's like, hold on. (laughs) That's this whole movie is him trying to help. And at, in that specific situation, it's him trying to make sure that she isn't killed and that this giant group of protesters aren't killed either. So I don't know. There's a lot of weird messaging going on in this film that is in some ways anti-cop from a radical within the film. So I think that's interesting that – you know, and, and it's hard to get around the fact that this film is based on a true story about a cop that infiltrated the KKK. Like that's that's the hook, right? That's the hook, line, and sinker of what drew most people. You know, if you write that on your screenplay as like the synopsis, people are going to be like, "Oh, huh, what's this about?" Yeah, you know? right. Look, it happened. <laughs> yeah. So. Some for real, for real shit. Yeah, yeah, for real, for real. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. It's it's always weird to me when people like have something explicitly against cops as a group. Which again is why, like, I found it very weird to like watch this movie directed by Spike Lee that like echoed that sentiment. Because I guess like he strikes me as the type of person who would be like, yeah, fuck, fuck pigs, fuck the police, like doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And um, you know. Like even like at the end of the movie, it's not like he turns in his badge and he's like, "You were right, Patrice. It's all over." He's like, "No, man, I could be both." Yep, I'm gonna try. 
Yeah. I mean, like... We could always watch Handing a Dirty Harry instead where he throws the badge in the river. <laughs> yeah, you could do that. Uh, or no, the end of Point Break where he throws his badge in the ocean. I thought he shot his or gun shoot. in the or I'm yeah, missing. I was, That's the yeah, middle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, my God. Shortly after a pit bull was thrown at him. Um, Which is the... From the director of Detroit. Yeah, that's true. A true masterpiece. It could be argued. No, it's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It's it's I don't know. I like I have such trouble like just agreeing with the anti cop viewpoint. Like, clearly there are issues in police forces all over this country, but I don't think that the institution of the police is inherently flawed. Like, as an idea, it's good. (laughs) Well, can I ask then, do you think, see, from my view, I feel like the institution got off pretty easy in this movie. And I think I I think you have a more pronounced negative view, but... But I'm curious whether that's only my reading. I don't know. I like, you know, the movie, like I said, the movie's so fucking cuddly. It's, it's hard to like say what got, like, I think the Neo, I think the fucking clan got off easy in this movie. Like everyone except DW Griffith gets off easy in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He's only been dead for like a (laughs) hundred years. That'll fucking show him. So, like, no, yeah, I mean, like, do the cops get off easy? Yeah, so does the actual clan. Like, <laughs> so isn't this a, a failure of a movie? <laughs> no, because I think that on fair. a narrative level, it's fun to sit down and watch this movie. <laughs> but it's when you start applying it as it really wants to be applied to our present that it all starts to fall apart. But if this is, if this were just like. <laughs> If this were just like a fun movie that didn't have anything else on its mind, I'd be like, yeah, B plus good times. But like <laughs> it, it's so it so wants to be about things that I'm like, but I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I think I think if they tried to skewer cops in this film and and really go after them, it would just be one more thing. And this movie is already pushing that it's 135 minutes like. Well, if, if if they were to do kind of like fuck the police and do even more buffoonish, I mean, and I don't know, maybe maybe this is Spike trying his hand at nuance for a change. Uh, <laughs> like th- that's kind of it. I don't think the clan did get off easy so uh, so much by the films doing so much as like the, our actual societal doing of like oh those rapscallions. Um, and maybe that was kind of like that was a sentiment that I felt, but I didn't feel it was a failing of the film. And the thing with the police and its depiction of the police, I guess I kind of accept that the movie can be argumentative while saying like there's good cops, there's bad cops, but cops are cops. And we do have to address and consider what the measure of the police uh, is, what their roles and responsibilities are. And I'm giving a lot of like, credence to a film that kind of just hints at and kind of passes a lot of this stuff by because a lot of shit happens um i I'm, i hope i don't sound like i'm making excuses so much as i'm like but i i was willing to kind of accept this film's terms for what it has to say and doesn't want to say about the police um what i do respect is the fact that at least it has the will to be 
more argumentative and relatable than say best example off the top of my head christopher nolan saying batman 3 is about occupy wall street and it has like five <laughs> fucking seconds of them on like wall street in new york city when they jump to a different country or something like that at least at least i respect black Klansman for having some heat and some actual uh, some substance to to its anger and its behavior i just got you to say something bad about nolan so now i'm happy we can un- <laughs> We could end the podcast right here. Oh, no, I'm the worst fanboy. No, full disclosure, <laughs> Michael Snydell took a car ride home with me after Dunkirk last year, and he's like, oh, my God, you're such a jerk-off for Nolan. I'm like, yeah, yeah, so what if I am? Yeah, he's a great filmmaker who's never made a bad movie. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Damn it. <laughs> I don't like Dark Knight Rises. That's all. I'll, I'll leave it there. I, I still like, like Dark Knight Rises. And that's cool. That's totally cool. <sighs> so, any other final thoughts on this movie before we wrap up? Hey, I, you know, those actors, they're pretty good. Uh, John, David, I, I feel like we haven't really talked a lot about, like, filmmaking <laughs> performance type things. Uh, you know, I hadn't seen John David Washington in something before. I think this is – he – I don't think his character has enough going on, but I think that he uh, brings a, a sense of um, – a command and thoughtfulness this performance that I say it's easy praise he's likable i you know, he's he's likable but i i think that specifically it's a scene bill mentioned earlier but the scene where they're look, listening to uh kwame uh toure uh played by uh cory hawkins um there's a there's a really fascinating speaking of fuck the police that's right I think there's a really fascinating performance in that scene alone as you see him kind of go back and forth in his head as he has a mic in his ear where the cops are, you know, just talking over Kwame's uh, a rhetoric, which is about how the black community needs to rise up. He doesn't have a mic in his ear in that scene. No, I, I thought it's uh, he has a mic in his ear and it's uh uh, Steve Buscemi's brother and Adam Driver in the <laughs> poor, poor Michael Buscemi. Poor Michael uh, Buscemi. Name. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I am almost 100% certain that he's only mic'd up for sound and is not receiving anything. Okay, I, I, was my, I agree. I was That's all right. Either way, I think that his performance in that scene is, is, uh, I think it's really good and interesting and thoughtful and a bunch of other bland words, but uh, <laughs> I hope I communicated what I meant. And, you know, Adam drivers, I, I know you either like him or you don't, but he's an actor. I think who's, I don't know what, one of our best really idiosyncratic leading men at the moment. So um, I was really sad. He didn't have a shirtless scene. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. There's so many scenes where he has his shirt open, but then he's got a t-shirt on. It's like, come on. Yeah. Come on. Are the pants high waisted? I don't remember. (laughs) No, they're pretty low slung. Okay. Okay. Uh, Quickly to the, the Corey Hawkins scene catches. I I love those cutaway shots of like, um, people's faces, like students faces with the overhead lighting that look like high school photos. Like I thought that was beautiful. (laughs) Like a moment of 
because it, it was no it was gorgeous like these emboldening shots of like all of a sudden these people are kind of coming into self-awareness or or a certain sense of pride but then after i left the movie i felt a certain amount of shame like oh shit that looks like the maggot brain album cover with a single head <laughs> blackness and like overhead lighting anyway um but no i i, I loved how i again to spike stylistic flourishes that, that, that was one of those things that i really got into yeah, Chase uh, Irving, who um, has done a number of things, but I'm, I'm mostly recognized from uh, – is one of the collaborators on Lemonade. Um, uh, oh, there, no kidding. There are a few very uh, very interesting shots, like very like uh, autumnal uh, color palettes uh, that I, I, I like. Autumnal? Yeah. It, are you just going to call me – Yeah, my – I love that village. You know, I thought you said you said Autumn Knoll, and I was like, I'm not familiar with that oh, photographer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's hard to say words that you're right. You can know what it is. Hashtag blessed. I know how to say it. <laughs> uh, anyway, though, yeah. Uh, this, this, this movie's okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I had a lot of fun with it, but it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to like square it with the, the, what I think it's trying to say. So it's, it becomes more difficult on like, and it's weird. Cause I feel like usually I'm like, the movie's a mess, but the message is great. And this one, I'm like, the movie's <laughs> really good and fun. And it's, you know, but like the message is like, what are you sure? Is that what? Yeah. So yeah, it's tough. It's the last call for thoughts, guys. It's yeah. an interesting movie. How it about is that? a movie and it is in theaters now. Um, <laughs> I so like the message. I and granted, I'm putting my own message on there, which was simply, "It's never over." Yeah, so and that's. That, I mean, and that's an e- it's an easy message, but it's still a potent one to me. And that's it just, what again, it just like, doesn't feel like me. it doesn't it doesn't 100 percent feel like that was the message when they finished it the first time. Fair. <laughs> um, all right, so that's it for today. Uh, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. Uh, go to patreon.com slash the film stage show and give us your money. Also, don't forget to go to movie.com slash film stage for your free 30 day trial of movie where you can currently see their Johnny Toe series as well as certified copy. And of course, you still have the films, the early films of Francois Ozon that you can check out. So check out movie. All you got to do is go to mubi.com slash film stage for your free 30-day trial. So that is it for today. Let us tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time. Blake, why don't you go first? Uh, sure, you can find me at consequencesound.com. Uh, you can't find me on Twitter right now because I pissed off a gun and coffee company. But uh, when I go back to unprivate, <laughs> that's at Blake Oval. Okay. All right, Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CableBFG, and you can also find me on the Slack channel. I had nothing creative to say today. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Michael Snydell, what about you? Uh, I, I'll be on Twitter at Snydell, where I will also be putting myself down on a daily basis. And uh, you can also find Stop me on Letterbox. <laughs> All right. Uh, um, uh, my name. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Brian J. Rowan, personal site dearfilm.net, and of course, all my writing over the filmstage.com. And um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's it. 
I got nothing else to say. We don't know what we're talking about next week. We will figure it out and we will tweet it out uh, on Twitter at FilmStageShow. So keep an eye out for that. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and tune in next time. A tooth for a tooth, both for me and I'll set you free. Talking about love, and brother is the preacher, and he's saying.